0: Good morning, good morning, welcome this morning, so glad that you joined us. My name is Chris, I'm the campus pastor here at Milestone McKinney, and I want to welcome you. Uh, Obviously, we're starting our new series called Let's Talk Family, but I just want to celebrate everything that happened at Easter this past week. I know we just watched this video, It's just so amazing to see the lives that were impacted, the lives that were changed uh, over the course of this weekend. I'm so grateful for all the volunteers that were here Early, preparing, making a way for everyone to be here. So grateful for everyone. Can we give all of our volunteers a big hand? Thank you so much for being amazing. Um, I'm grateful for those of you that uh, that came and actually chose non-optimal times. You go, well, what's a non-optimal time? Well, it's any time... Uh, outside of the time that you actually want to be here. What you'd find is the 11 o'clock time frame is typically our optimal time. Many of you attended our Good Friday service. Uh, many of you came early, 8 a.m. sunrise service. And what you did is you made room for other people to be here at the optimal times, 9, 30, 11, 15. So thank you for doing that. Uh, people meeting Jesus, people giving their life to the Lord. And uh, it was just an amazing, amazing weekend. And so, so honored. I wanted to take... A minute just to celebrate that before we go on. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. So we're starting this new series called Let's Talk Family. And uh, as we look at this series and we understand what does this mean, I have this thought. I wanted to, to, to just kind of dive into this thought and I want to kind of set this up. I was reminded of when Meadow, my youngest, was born. And uh, she actually came early and uh, it was a kind of an emergency C-section. She went into the NICU uh, right after she was born. They literally uh, took her out of Wendy and put her right into an incubator, rolled her to the NICU and she was there for three weeks. And so uh, that's a lot going on while we're there in the hospital for three weeks with our child in the NICU. Obviously, our first concern was for Meadow. Uh, We're concerned about her, her health. She actually had a procedure at two days old. She had surgery, and so thank God she is fine. She is okay, and if you know her, she is a spunky little six-year-old, and you'd think, I would have never known. And so uh, she was in the NICU for this amount of time and you're thinking and wondering and, and you're kind I can I can remember Wendy and I being anxious and and worried and I think man I can only imagine what would it be like if I didn't know Jesus as my personal lord and savior how much more difficult it would have been and uh, but being a pastor and in the community we were in obviously we're praying for and thinking of our child but you end up knowing people that are either there in the hospital people who know you uh, they know you're in the hospital and so they have someone or a loved one that is in the hospital, and they're like, Pastor Chris, can you go pray for them? Can you go pray for this child, this family, this baby, different things? Like that. I'm like, sure, I mean, all right, well, I mean, I'm here, I'm praying for Meadow, might as well pray for other people, I'm just making hospital visits. I started knowing nurses, they're like, hey, how's it going, Pastor Chris? Hey, good to see you, you need prayer? You know, and so I'm just kind of making my rounds, and, and I had this thought, you know, obviously, people especially when they're in a hospital they're thinking man I, I really would want a pastor to come and pray with me or pray for me or pray for my loved one in over 20 years of ministry honestly there's a lot of time that I've spent in hospitals at, at people's uh, greatest moments where they're having the birth of a child uh, whether it's in a moment of tragedy or shock because of an unexpected accident or maybe a difficult moment where it's the loss of a loved one and so lots of time I spent in hospitals praying for people. And even that thought, you think about, can I have a pastor come pray? Can I have a pastor come uh, bless us and, 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 and just pray for us? And, and while we as pastors, we're just humans. We're, we're simply conduits. We're people. I think what people are actually looking for is God's blessing and favor on their life. In fact, the greatest thing that we want in our life and in our family is just that. We want God's blessing and his favor On our family, so so how do we get that? What, why, why is this so important? In fact, for us, this is so important because family is important to God. You may be thinking, "Well, I'm single. Uh, I'm not married. Um, Maybe I'm single again." You may be thinking, "How does this really apply to me? I'm a young person." Well, here's what I want you to understand, and I want us to gather: is this is that God gave himself the name heavenly father. He 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 used that phrase that that description to describe himself. So what is he saying? He's saying we're all part of a family. We all experience whatever season of life you're in, wherever you're at, we all are part of a family. So family is very important to him. In fact, in Matthew verse 19 chapter 19, Jesus is referencing, he's actually going back and referencing Genesis and he's talking about uh, the Really the first wedding in Genesis chapter 2. And this is what he says. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So this one flesh aspect, this oneness, that is the key. That is the goal. So when it comes to marriage specifically, it is oneness that is the end goal, the end result. We live in a culture that promotes, Hey, find the one, find the one, find the one. Well, that's not even necessarily biblical. You need to have shared purpose, you need to walk in unity, you need, to, you need all those things like destinies, but really if we put more emphasis on working and fighting to stay one, that's really what Jesus is calling us to, oneness, pursuing oneness. What does that look like? It's not always easy, it's not always fun, but it's necessary. And so that's what he's talking, families are important, marriage is important, we're all part of a family. But even for us, I mean, obviously we're going to go to God's Word. We're going to look at what it looks like to to have a healthy family, to have healthy marriage, to interact with our children, regardless of the age or season that they're in. But why is this important to us? Well, it's important to us because when we, as Alex talked about those prayer cards, when we pray for you, when you fill out those cards each and every week, so many of the requests for prayer are about family about your family, about a loved one, about something when it has to do with family. When we have prepared at the beginning of the year and it's a a focused time of prayer and fasting and worship and the word, so many of the prayer requests that are on the back wall have to do with family. It's the thing we care most about. And so we focus on it because it's important to you. In fact, you may have questions about Family situations in your marriage, situations with your children, whatever it may be, those particular things. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. If you have a question, we're going to put a phone number up on the screen. Okay? And here's what we're going to ask you to do. Through the course of this series, we want to answer these questions for you. Simply text in your question to this number, and we want to answer it. You may write it down and go, well, let me think about what kind of questions I want to ask, and you can shoot those in anytime. We're going to take those, and we want to be able to answer these questions for you about family, about marriage, about your relationships, because it's so important. But here's the other reason why we're taking time to talk through these things, is because we live in a unique time. We live in a unique time and season Where this is the thing we care most about, but it's also the thing we feel most ill-equipped for. It's the thing that we're going, we want to win in this area. We want to win in family. We want to win in marriage. We want to win with our children. We want to win in relationships. But how? What do we do and how do we get there? I want you to open up your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 3 and we'll get there. Uh, in just a minute. But but I want to talk about this tension that we live in. You see, we live in this tension. And I, and I want to set it just very clear. This is not about discovering a life hack. This is not about, you know, just trying to figure out what's the what's the best way to, to win in marriage. And what are the little life hacks and the techniques and all the things. Because at the end of the day, you don't need techniques and life hacks. You need Jesus. At the end of the day, that's what you need. I need Jesus to help me if I'm going to win with my children, if I'm going to win in my marriage with Wendy, that that is what I need. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm working on. So I why why is this so important? So I, I want us to look, and we're going to go to God's Word in just a minute. But we 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 are in a climate, if you would, that's all about looking for and trying to discover what it looks like to just win in these areas. And so I, I was reminded of this when I was watching March Madness. And I don't know any basketball fans. I don't know if anyone's in here. I know we've got some Baylor fans in the house. They're real excited about the Baylor Bears finally winning their first national championship in basketball. Way to go. Sick em Bears. Okay. My Longhorns, their disappointment. They 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 lost first round. We got a new coach. Sorry, you Texas Tech Raider fans are hating on Chris Beard. Hook 'em horns, okay? We we're gonna win now, all right? So it's like you're watching basketball, and and there's lots of commercials on when you're watching any sporting event. It's not like the Super Bowl or anything like that. But I started seeing some of these different commercials, and they played to our desire for more. To get it figured out, it's kind of like Lily from AT&T, you know what I mean? You can have unlimited data, unlimited Wi-Fi, wherever you go. You can be in Mars. You're going to have unlimited data. It's like more, more, more. Or Uber Eats. I mean, we love, I mean you want to talk about delivery over the last year. I mean, should have bought stock in like Uber Eats and DoorDash and all that kind of stuff. Because, I mean, it's everywhere. Uber Eats, it's like double the madness, right? You can have whatever you want, whenever you want, and eat as much as you want. Just Uber it. Just get it there. You can have it anytime you want it. But here's the thing. All of those things, they play to our selfishness. They play to self-fulfillment. But what we're going to look at in God's Word in Philippians is that it's not going to be self-fulfillment that's going to help you win with your family. It's not going to be willpower and just trying to make up for everything that you did not get when you were a child. That's not what's going to help you get there. It's going to be something very different, and it's a unique ingredient that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2. Now, let me just say this from the jump. We can be a part of messages like this, series like this, and here's the thing that can happen. You start putting pressure on yourself to perform and be perfect. I go, okay, okay, let's talk family. I'm going to talk family. I'm going to I'm going to be perfect at family. We're going to talk about it. In fact, you know what we're going to do? We're going to sit at home, and we're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about how we need to be a perfect family, and we're going to do all these things. We're going to do all these different things. We're going to start doing all this. Take the pressure off of yourself. It's not about being perfect. I want you to think about it just a little bit differently. It's more about your posture, how you approach this particular topic when it comes to family. How do you approach it? You see, why is that? What do you mean approach? Well, see, it's your approach that's dictated by your posture. How do you posture yourself when it comes to family, when you think about family? You see, your approach and your posture dictates your perspective. And if you don't see it right, then here's what happens. You won't respond right. You won't respond in the correct way. You won't engage in the correct way. You won't interact with your spouse in the correct way or your children in the correct way because you're more concerned about being right and defending yourself than about having unity within your family and about growing in the ways that really matter. Paul chapter 2, in Philippians chapter 2, he says this, Paul's writing... He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I mean, he goes right for it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Well, guess what nothing would imply? Nothing. That means nothing that you do is going to be out of selfish ambition. I love the definition of unconditional love, agape love. We describe it more than we define it. We described it, well, what's unconditional love? Well, I mean, it's loving without conditions. The actual definition is loving, expecting nothing in return. The minute I expect something in return, I'm operating out of selfish ambition. Call it what you want. I mean, you're like, man, I'm not selfish and ambitious. The minute you love expecting something in return, there's selfish ambition. Listen, guilty is charged. Okay, I, I'm guilty of that, and until I evaluate and recognize and do what Paul is saying here, I, he's challenging, he's admonishing, he's writing the church, to the church in Philippi, he's giving a description and an overview of how we should live our life. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Here is this ingredient that we need if we're going to win with our family. Humility. Humility. Now, now what is humility? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less and thinking of someone else more. That you begin to set your attention and your affection on others. You begin to prefer people people this is what paul is referring to the humility aspect of things when it comes to what it looks like if you want unity in your family then guess what you're going to need you're going to need humility you're going to need humility in how you interact and how you operate and how you converse with one another he goes on to say in your relationships with one another we all have relationships in fact in your fa- we're all part of a family if you're living and breathing you are part of a family, okay? So you are here because you are part of a family. That's why you even exist. Now, you think you may think, well, man, I, I didn't pick the family I was a part of. Okay, I get it. I know your kids are saying the same thing. I'm like, man, phew, I didn't pick this mom and dad, okay? Listen, the family unit is where we're able to experience and see It's the place that you're going to learn, you're going to grow, you're going to see your strengths, you're going to see your weaknesses, they're going to see your frailties, they're going to see your moments where, you know, I get a little frustrated, and Willow, Willow's my frustration police. She's like, Daddy, I know I'm in trouble when I hear, a Daddy, because I'm getting a little frustrated at something, you know. She's going to keep me in check. She sees, she knows. All you see is maybe what you see here on a weekend. But in family, they see everything. And so it's in those relationships with one another, we have to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So right here, Paul is saying, Jesus gave us the example, and he didn't use his position. He didn't go, hey, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? He didn't use his position and take advantage. Here's what he did, verse 7. He says this, he says, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see the word mindset here in the Greek is a Greek word. It's, it's actually a verb that is the word phroneo. The word phroneo is an Active. You see, walking in humility, if we're going to walk in humility, it's not passive, it's active. You're going to have to be active in walking out humility. It's easy to recognize pride, but it's not always easy to recognize insecurity and fear. You see, insecurity and fear will fuel Pride. And what happens is the more proud you are, the less vulnerable you are, which means you're not going to, by nature, walk in humility. But Paul is saying, listen, let's follow Christ's example. We need to walk in humility. We have to walk in humility and operate in humility because it's in humility that we begin to win where it matters most in our family. But here's the challenge. When you think about challenges in your family, what's the first place you start? With humility? No. I I don't know about you. The first place I start when there's a challenge, I go into problem solver mode. Maybe you go into, you know, how do I win? Maybe you go into, I'm going to prove my point. Maybe you're like me. You go into problem solver mode. But the real first step should be humility. Humility. It's not easy but it is what Paul is writing and what God's word is saying. Hey, here is the area in which if you'll focus, this is how you win in family. Uh, but, but what begins to happen is this. We go, Well, I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna figure it out. I'll, I'll just try and make it work. I'll, I'll just, you know what? I'll just try and do my best and, and it'll take care of itself. It's not going to take care of itself, it, it's not just going to happen. It's not how it works. I was reminded as I, as I saw this story of a Air France Flight 447. I found this story intriguing as I was preparing for this weekend and I saw and read this story and then I even did a little more research on it. You see, I don't know if you know anything about planes, but Air France 447 went missing June 1st, 2009. Now, if you know anything about planes, it was an Airbus 330. You think, well, no, I mean, I don't know anything about planes other than I get on them, and I get off of them, and I hope to get from point A to point B safely and quickly. Okay, well, an Airbus 333 is supposed to be the safest plane to be on, but yet here's this plane goes missing. Never had there been a plane like this that just simply went missing, and for two years, they could not find the wreckage of Air France 447. In fact, as I did research and I, and I was looking at the different pilots, there were three pilots that were on board. It totaled, the, the pilots all together totaled over 20,000 hours of airtime, And together, all three totaled almost over 15,000 on this particular type of plane. Yet here it is, it goes missing. You have all these crews searching for the wreckage and the black box to find out what happened to Air France 447, and finally, after all these different companies and people and organizations looking for it, they finally find the black box, which, interesting enough, is not black; it's actually red. But this this flight recorder, as they began to extrapolate the information and they began to, to try and discover what happened, here's what they realized they realized that part of it was was human error. Part of it was mechanical error. And what ended up happening was in the middle of it, they had a high altitude stall and they plummeted to the ground. But here was the interesting thing that they discovered as they began to look at the flight recording. There was never once a mayday that was sent out. They never knew they were in trouble. Maybe because they never recognized it, They never realized, hey, we've got a problem here, or maybe they recognized there was a problem. They didn't think it was that big of a deal, and they thought they could fix it, and so they never put out a distress call for help. I find that that's where so many of us live within our families. We don't realize what's actually happening. We are in the middle of about to have a high-altitude stall and plummet. But we never cry out for help. Why? Because perhaps it's a lack of humility. You see, pride and fear and control keeps us from being open and transparent about where we're really at and what we're really experiencing. And unfortunately for me, being in the position I'm in for Wendy and I as pastors, we get the phone call, but we don't get the phone call when it's a May day. Oftentimes we get the phone call when it's been a crash and burn. We would love, my prayer for you is that you would, in a moment of humility, go, I'm not gonna wait until it's a life or death situation, until I've just crashed and burned, and now we're trying to pick up the wreckage and discover what happened. We all know people where that's happened. We all recognize, man, how did we get here? How did that happen? Man, so-and-so, did you hear about that marriage? Did you hear about their relationship? Did you hear about what happened? You look at your own life and go, how did we end up here? Because perhaps there wasn't the proper measure of humility that said, hey, I need help. I need help. So how do we do that? How, how, do, we, how do we understand what it looks like and what does humility look like when it comes to to our family. How, how do we work on this and how do we grow in it? Well, first is this, humility is an active process. Remember that word in the Greek, phroneo, it's active. Humility is not something that you just decide through willpower, it's a process. It's a process, there's step by step. I wanna break it down for you and just give you this little process. It's a, and I want you to understand something, when you see it, it's this ongoing process. That we need to operate in if we are going to be active in walking in humility. Here's the first thing. Is we're going to have to realize that we need to unlearn your unhealthy mindsets. We all have some unhealthy mindsets. You know, we, we were traveling and, and uh, when we, we flew back in from a trip, we were down in Austin. We are actually in Austin yesterday. I was at my parents' house and we were walking through the garage and I saw something that caught my attention. I saw this, this device, okay? This device that I had. See, see this device, it, it threw me back to a, a moment in time where it was nostalgic. I, I, I saw this boombox in my dad's garage. You know, what's a boombox? Listen, we didn't have wireless AirPods back in my day. You actually had a radio. You, you, had, you got some muscles. You threw that thing up on your shoulder, and you was walking down the road, and you didn't just hear it, but everyone else heard it, man. And the bigger the boom box, the better it was. And that boombox. here's what's crazy. My dad still has the boom box that I had when I was younger growing up. And he had it in the garage, and it still works. And at first I thought, wow, that, that kind of surprised me. But it really didn't surprise me. My dad's totally like, take care of your stuff. Take care of it. If you take care of it, it'll take care of you. It'll last forever. And here we are. You know, we got my boom box. Well, on that boom box, there's this thing called a cassette player. Okay? Young people in here, a cassette player. You can say it with cassette. Okay. And in my day, you didn't have iTunes playlists and Spotify playlists and Pandora playlists and all these radio stations to play all the type of music you want. If you wanted your music that you like, you know what you did? You created a mixtape. Come on, somebody. And that mixtape, boy, you play that radio, right? You hit record on that thing. Oh, yeah, you're making that mix? I mean, basically, you is illegal bootlegging music. Come on, just call it what it is. FBI is coming to get you, all right? You, you, you had this mixtape and you played all that and you didn't want anyone to get that cassette tape because on accident, if they don't recognize what it is, they're going to record over your mixtape and you don't want them to record over your mixtape. But here's the thing is each one of us were born with a blank cassette tape and based on the family we were born into, and the experiences that we had growing up, based on perhaps the relationships we had growing up, based on perhaps the marriage we had growing up, or the previous marriage we had, there were things that were recorded on the tape of our life, but we need to go back and rewind, and we need to erase that mixtape, because those things have been implanted on the cassette tape of our life, and they are dictating how we view our current situation, and not only do they dictate it, they dictate how we respond in it. If you're going to walk in humility, you're going to have to unlearn some of those things. The things that you learned when you saw how your mom or dad interacted with one another, you're going to have to unlearn it, and the Holy Spirit has to help you do that. The things that perhaps in your marriage currently that you're experiencing, they could be the byproduct of perhaps a a tumultuous time in your marriage prior to you or you and your spouse really committing to walk in a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And you're going to have to erase those things and unlearn those things. In fact, Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, Verses 18, and then even in 22 and 24, he says, take off your old self. He says, put on your new self. What's he saying? He's saying you need to erase that old mixtape, and you need to put something new on there. Something new that's dictated by God's word and by his purpose. And see, here's what's so interesting about Ephesians 4, is Ephesians 4 sets up Ephesians 5, which is like the, the hall of fame, of marriage and weddings. And he's talking about, listen, if you're going to step into this relationship that you're about to come into, he sets it all out in Ephesians 5. Here's what it looks like to be a husband. Here's what it looks like to be a wife. Every wedding I've ever officiated, I'm always sharing out of Ephesians 5. Well, before you get to Ephesians 5, Paul's talking about in Ephesians 4, if you're gonna win there, you better take off the old and put on the new. Because what happens is you're bringing Old baggage, an old mixtape into a new season of life. And you're going to have to unlearn some of those things. If you're going to walk in humility, you've got to unlearn some of those things. And I understand, easier said than done. But when you do, you begin to allow humility to dictate how you view life, how you interact, and how you operate with one another. But here's the next thing. Is you need to be empty and open to learn. Learn. Empty and open to learn. Remember, this is a process. So I'm going to unlearn some things, and now I need to be emptied out and open to learn some new things. Paul's writing, going back to Philippians chapter 2. He says, he's referring to Jesus. He said, Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. You see, oftentimes we view family, yes, through our experiences, but also through our strengths. You see, but your greatest strength can become your greatest weakness. And it's only humility that allows you to set aside your strength for the sake of the relationship. Well, this is just who I am. This is how God made me. And this is what I bring to the marriage. This is my strength. Well, humility will allow you to set that aside for what the people in your family actually may need. You may think, well, this is just who I am and how I communicate and how I come across. Take it or leave it. Well, that may not be what your spouse needs. Humility says, I'm going to communicate to them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to engage with them and interact with them the way they need to be communicated to, loved, and interacted with. That's what humility looks like. That's how you operate in that way. So you've got to empty yourself and be willing to learn new things. I've shared with you before, my heart, I love to pastor. I love to coach. I love to help. But listen, Wendy and the girls aren't always looking to go, yeah, coach me up. Dad, yeah, Coach, they don't call me Pastor Chris. I'm Dad. I'm Chris, you know. It's pride and insecurity that would cause me to go, oh, well, let me just, I mean, do you know who I am? I mean, I stand on a platform and I speak and I have a microphone and blah, 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 blah. They don't care about any of that. They just want me to be husband and dad. But it's pride that would cause me to hold on to that and go, well, do you know who I am? And trust me, there's times where I'm operating out of that. And Love Biscuit, she let me know. We were driving yesterday, driving through Dallas. I said to him, she goes, that sounds a little prideful. I said, well, I wouldn't mean it to be. Well, I know you weren't meaning to be, but that sounds prideful. Well, thank you, man. I have another. I've gotta recognize I'm gonna humble myself. I'm gonna walk in humility. I'm gonna learn new things. But what begins to happen is I start thinking about fear and I start thinking about control and what happens is pride is not always just arrogance. Pride is simply saying I think I know what's best. If I allow fear and control to dictate what I do, pride will be the end result. Pride will be the end result. Well, listen. Humility is attractive. It attracts help. Pride pushes away, and it resists. It pushes away. So, so I begin to realize, listen, I've got to learn new things. And so, again, it's a process. It's a process. I'm going to unlearn things. I'm going to learn new things. But here's the thing is as I'm learning, I'm going to put on the mind of Christ. I'm going to put on the mind of Christ. Philippians or Ephesians 4, verse 23 and 24 it says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, put on the new self, created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. You see, this is something that's continually ongoing, and humility will be a huge and significant impact in your relationships if you allow it. But the hard part is, humility is not the natural first step when we're having challenges. Listen, this is the process. It's ongoing. Once you get here, okay, I'm put on the mind of Christ. Awesome, that's great. Guess what? Start over because there's going to be another situation that comes up. There's going to be another instance and another issue and you know what you're going to need to do? You just may have to recognize I need to unlearn something so that then I can empty myself and learn something new. So then I can put on the mind of Christ and I can interact in the way that I need to. I can have that mindset, froneo, this active mindset, putting it on to walk in humility. You see, that's what begins to happen and that's actually what happens is when we do that, there's a significant transformation that happens. Paul writes in Romans 12 verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but... Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That word transformed, it's the same root word where we get the word metamorphosis. It's a transformation into something new. There's a metamorphosis, a transforming that begins to happen because our mindset matters. Why? Because humility is the mindset of Christ. That's what Paul is telling us. We need to take on the mindset of Christ. Humility is the mindset of Christ. Philippians 2, 3, that's what he's talking about. He didn't think of himself, oh, let me be elevated. Let me let you know who I am. No, 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 no. He said, look, I'm going to come and I'm going to be humble. I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve. I'm going to put on the mindset of Christ. I'm not necessarily going to put on the mindset of what I'm reading or what this podcast says or what that's. I'm going to put on the mindset of Christ. Because when I do that, I can operate in humility and I can respond correctly. When we simply try and take what we've heard or seen from other places and other things and we try to implement in our life, what we tend to do is react. And you may get a short-term resolution, but you will not get a long-term transformation. It won't last. It's transformation that only comes from walking in humility. So I want to make it real practical for you. Real practical, what does this look like in different seasons? Remember, humility is active, right? But but here's the thing is we have to recognize this that many times humility is also the missing ingredient. You can't just tell someone, I'm humble. Hey, love biscuit. I'm humble. Boo, I'm humble. She's like, no, you ain't, boy. <laughs> you need to work on that. Simple fact you telling me you're humble just shows you. You probably ain't that humble. <laughs> just doesn't work you can't just willpower you can't think real hard about it and just make yourself do it that's not going to happen so so how does this look in different seasons you see because here's what begins to happen is fear and insecurity and control they result in pride and self-preservation those are all byproducts of pride and self-preservation and listen self-preservation More challenges in marriages are byproducts of self-preservation than anything else. You were not protected and defended when you were growing up. As a child, you experienced abuse you didn't even really realize from a parent. And so you have created a scenario in how you interact and operate on that mixtape of your life. And what's happening now is the friction and frustration and the challenges you have in your marriage are a byproduct of you simply trying to self-preserve. You don't have to. God sees, he hears, he heals, and through the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of his word, he will bring freedom to that area. If you walk in humility, God gives grace to the humble, but it's your pride that will cause you to hold on to control, to feel that you need to protect and defend yourself. You don't. You don't. So what does this look like in different seasons? Well, well, if you're a young person and, and you're looking to get married, maybe something you have to unlearn is this thought process that, you know what? I, I, why don't we just live together? I mean, it's more cost effective. I mean, we're probably going to get married. And we need to try and figure out how do we like, are we compatible, you know? And so let's just try and figure that out. No, no, no. It, it, you, you begin to walk in humility by saying, you know what? We're going to honor God in this we're going to honor God in our relationship. We're going to honor God in 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 how we're living life. And so either one, we're going to get married, and we're going to be right before the Lord or two, it may not be financially feasible or if some may say not wise, we're going to move out until we're ready to get married. That's what humility looks like. Or maybe when it comes to connecting to your spouse, And you begin to say, you know, like, you're going to have to unlearn. Well, I work all the hours I work so I can provide for the family so the kids can be a part of all the different activities they want to be a part of so they can do all of these things. When in reality, your spouse just wants to connect with you. And listen, that's not just men when it comes to women. There are women that are significantly involved in their profession, and they're going 90 to nothing to try and make ends meet and bring in resources to help provide income to meet the bills because you're overextended or because you find significance in what you're doing. It doesn't matter, man or woman, what's happening is you're not connecting with your spouse. But humility says, look, I want to win where it really matters. I want to walk in relationship and connection with my spouse. And it's not about just burning the candle at both ends to try and make things uh, happen so that I can provide. No, no, no. I'm going to walk in humility so that I can love them the way they need to be loved. And I can be an example of Jesus to them and how I love them. Maybe it's with your little children. Maybe it's in disciplining your children. Like, man, well, you know, we have a hard time with our kids. You know, we, we don't really discipline them, you know. Like, well, I know, we can tell. <laughs> we, we can tell, you know, you're not big on, on discipline. And, and you think, well, you know, I, I don't want to hurt them. And their, their, their insecurity and, and their, their personality and that could, I could be harsh and that could harm them. Can I tell you, that's more about you than it is about them. You have a hard time having a difficult conversation because one, you think they're cute and it's cute and it's funny right up until that five-year-old turns out to be 15 and then turns out to be 25. It ain't cute and funny anymore. It ain't. They are going to be in an environment one day where they are going to have to answer to an authority and there will be a consequence. You actually love them when you discipline them and you help them experience that. Now, here's the other problem, going back to self-preservation. Sometimes what was said to be discipline and what you experienced as children wasn't discipline, it was actually abuse. So what you did is you went from one extreme to the other extreme, and you went, well, I'm not going to be that, so I'm going to do this, and so I ain't going to say anything or do anything. No, no, no. You look to God's word and go, hey, I'm going to not just simply correct and address their behavior. I'm going to pastor their heart. I'm going to parent their heart. That's what discipline does. Discipline is about parenting and addressing not just the behavior. It's their heart. Because that little cute five-year-old is going to be a cute 15-year-old. It's going to be a cute 25 and 35 and 45. And what begins to happen is we have all these adults that never really learned what it's like to take responsibility for their actions. because all they knew was punishment and not consequences. And so it's everyone else's fault on why things didn't work out the way they wanted to. Why they're in rehab all over again. Why they've had failed X, Y, and Z because they never learned to take responsibility for themselves. You don't think about that when they're five and you're going, nah, I'm just not going to discipline. That's what happens. Or maybe those cute little ones turn out to be teenagers. They grow up. What does that look like? Man, it's hard, you know what I mean? You know, they're they're pulling away, and what are they going to do? They used to want to hang out with me, now they don't. Humility says, I'm going to push through the rejection I may be experiencing, because even though they're telling me they don't want anything to do with me, I'm going to draw them close. I'm going to draw them close. I'm going to have a relationship. I'm going to continue to invest. I'm going to continue to have conversation, even though they push me away. I'm going to... When you have teenagers, you're going to need humility in that season more than any other season of your life. Because you're going to want to go, hey, no, 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 this is right. This is what you need to do. Listen, it's not about being right. It's about what you're doing right. And if you'll focus on doing what is right, then you'll move through the insecurity and the fear and the rejection your teenager may be trying to put up on you to do what is the right thing to do. That's what humility looks like. We go on and on. It could be with your siblings and sibling rivalries. It could be you. maybe you have a blended family and the challenges that blended families bring and all of those things, it, whatever it may be, the missing ingredient oftentimes is humility. I love what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. He says this. He says, all of you clothe yourselves In humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. See, we all want God's favor on our life. Humility is attractive. Humility attracts help. Pride. Pride pushes away. You see, clothe yourself. Clothing is a big deal. In my house, clothing's a big deal. I got three little girls. It's a big deal. You should have seen... Easter, coming into Easter, you know, Target, you can't use the dressing rooms. So Wendy comes home with like 15 bags because now my living room is the dressing room. It's like, what are we going to wear? And Easter outfits and all these things. And it's not just the outfit. It's the accessories and the shoes. And, I mean, I'm running around looking for shoes. I'm like, I'm I'm sending like FaceTime like, babe, is this the one? Is it what size? I don't know, you know. It's like, I don't know. It's like, oh, why? Because clothing is a big deal. Listen, how you clothe yourself is a big deal. Peter said, clothe yourself in humility. Paul wrote, Jesus's example was walk in humility. But the challenge is when we're having a difficult moment in our family, the first place we look is not at humility, it's at winning, being right, proving our point, self-preservation. But God's word says, No. It needs to be humility because when you walk in humility, you attract help first and foremost from God. But secondly, you position yourself to then ask for help. Listen, when I look at my life, I look at the things that I've experienced. I look at the challenges Wendy and I have had, whether it's in passionate conversations, disagreements, challenges with children or whatever it may be wherever it may be the things that you experience you're believing God to work or move you need healing or health or whatever it may be at the end of the day I don't need a life hack I don't need tools and techniques I need Jesus and it's supernatural because I know me most humans are prideful and self-centered in general But in my sin nature, I'm in rare form because it's really, I'm thinking like, it's all about me. So when I walk in humility, it's not willpower. It's the help of the Holy Spirit. It's supernatural. And we all need it because if we're gonna win where it matters most in our families, it's going to be through humility.